On this week's episode of the Things Above podcast, I look at the problem of evil and sin. I look at real studies and I answer real questions. All this and more on the Things Above podcast. back to another episode of the things above podcast um this one's going to be kind of a fun one i think uh it's going to be it's going to be a little entertaining um i'm just in my microphone so i apologize and and so if there's a loud noise i, I do apologize about that um, um this episode might uh be a little bit different you might hear a lot of papers rustling around a lot of things rustling around because i got a lot of information here uh, but it's something i want to share with you all uh, I, I listened to an interesting radio program this week and and it really got me thinking because they they were talking about the problem of evil and sin. Are people inherently evil? Is evil a bigger issue than we think it is? Uh, this was a secular podcast, a secular radio podcast, and um, it was a uh, a secular study as well. So it's interesting to see uh, how they view the problem of evil in our world without actually addressing evil, if that makes sense. Um, so I just kind of want to share with you guys on how how this podcast kind of went about and and then kind of give you guys the, the, the studies that they talked about um, as I, I pulled up the actual... Uh, the actual experiment that the this radio broadcast was uh, pulling up, so I got a lot of information for you guys, and so uh, it's it's a lot of a lot of to, to, to cover today. So, uh, but this is this is it's it's really interesting, really interesting stuff, really good stuff. So, um, the the podcast that I did listen to was uh, a podcast called Radio Lab. Um, it kind of opened up with them sharing a, uh, a story, a strange story, uh, that uh, one of uh, a, a, a um, psychologist uh, or a practicing psychologist or um, a student psychologist at the time, I think, um, he kind of shares this story about a about something he witnessed. A um, <laughs> quite the interesting event. Um, so what happened was is that he kind of goes to this this um a, a party of a colleague I think uh um and this guy was married and uh he kind of knocks on the door and the man's wife answers and she looks kind of annoyed. And he asked if the friend was there and he, she's like yeah he's upstairs and uh, again this is kind of like a like a dinner party. Uh it's not like a like a like a big blowout party. It was a dinner party. It was friends having dinner, having good conversation. And she was just she was annoyed. She goes, "Yeah, he's upstairs." And so the the the, the psychologist goes upstairs and 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 sees his friend and his friend's just stewing angry. He's super mad. And and he's like, "What's going on?" And, and the guy was mad because his wife embarrassed him in front of all their friends they didn't go into how 
he was embarrassed, but uh, she embarrassed him somehow in front of all their friends. And whatever that embarrassment was, uh, it, uh, it it made him very, very angry. And he's just kind of pacing back and forth. And, and the psychologist says, he, you know, he's never seen his friend uh, act this way. And then finally the friend goes, I'm so angry, I could just kill her. I mean, just let that sink in. This, this, this is this, this, this anger that he has, and he goes, "I'm so angry, I could just kill her." Well, he calmed the guy down. He goes, "It's okay," and calmed the guy down. And they went back to their dinner party, and they had fun. And he thought everything was okay. And then, oh, it was a couple weeks later. His friend calls, and he says, uh, "You, you kind of have to get me out of here. You gotta, you gotta." Uh, just get me away from this woman. If I don't get away from this woman, I will kill her. So now he's seen his friend in a different way. Eventually, uh, I guess they did wind up having a pretty nasty fight, the the man and his wife. And she was, for a time, in fear of her own life because of this man's anger. Uh, but um, the story kind of moves on. The psychologist later goes on. He goes to be... Um, pretty successful, a pretty successful teacher as well. And uh, he later started a, a study because uh, he, he could never forget about his his friend. And so he wanted to start a study to see if how, how many other people think that way. And so he kind of did this survey with his students over a course of a few years. And 75 to 85% of his students shared the same feelings that they had this murderous rage uh, the, the questions were more of uh, have you ever thought about or entertained the idea and, and he was shocked to find out that 75 to 85 of his students said yes and some of them went into detail on what they thought about how they would kill these kinds of things 95 percent of men said yes out of out of, out of the 75 and 85%, 95% of the men were the ones that said yes. 84% of the women uh, said yes in the study. Now, this is where the radio podcast took a turn. Um, by the way, the reason why I wanted to share this with you guys was because this last episode I shared a story about a woman who shot and killed her husband for looking at pornography. She told him to leave, and he refused to leave. This was an elderly woman and an elderly man, and 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 she told her husband to leave. And he was in a shed, and he wouldn't, so she went out and went back and shot him. And now she's facing murder charges. There was that murderous rage, and it was actually, the I think it was the day after I posted that podcast, I listened to... Uh, the 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 Radio Lab podcast on this, and I just kept thinking about that woman and that man. Um, but then they kind of go into this the milli, the milligram experiment. Uh, it's a very very famous experiment. Uh, uh, maybe some of you have heard about this. If not, I, um, I'm very glad to be the one to share share this with you. Uh, it's one of the most famous studies on obedience. Uh, I'm taking my information from sim simplypsychology.org. Really, the, the milligram experiment is so famous, you can get information on this anywhere. But 
including you can even get video footage of the experiment. Uh, but what happened was is that this this guy, uh, uh, Stanley Milligram, a psychologist at Yale University, decided to do a, a, an experiment to test people's obedience. Uh, he examined this for the reason that uh, um, there there was there was um, uh, war criminals on trial during that time, uh, and so he wanted to see if if people if there were if these acts of genocide were justified by obedience, how many other people would be obedient when given when given orders? Their because uh, their defense was based on obedience. I, I don't know how many of you out there might know that. Uh, the experiment began in July 1961, a year after the trial of Adolf Eichmann in Jerusalem, and so uh, and and the the defense was that they were following orders. Uh, so Milligram devised the the experiment to answer the question: Could it be that Eichmann and his his million accomplices accomplices in the Holocaust were just following orders? Could we call them accomplices? Is kind of his his thought. Now there's this notion that's going on right now in in uh, neurology. Um, that we really are not accountable for our own actions. And that kind of seems like the early forms of that. I'm not going to talk about that today. Maybe we could save that for another podcast. But uh, but that's what it kind of sounds like to me. Uh, now, the procedure was that the participant, participant was paired with another person, and they drew lots to find out who would be the learner and who would be the teacher. One would be the one to be the learner, one would be the one to be the teacher. Now, the draw was fixed so that the participant was always the teacher. They always controlled the study. So the draw was fixed, so the participant was always the teacher, and the learner was the one, uh, the learner was one of Milligram's um, uh, participants. They were one of his uh, uh, confederates, if you want to call him that. Uh, the learner, who is the confederate, called Mr. Wallace, was taken into a room and had electrodes attached to his arm. And the teacher and the researcher went into the room next door that contained an electric shock generator and a row of switches marked from 15 volts, which is a slight shock, to 375 volts, which is a really high, severe shock, to 450 volts, which is, you just killed somebody. At least it's possible to kill somebody. Now, the aim, uh, they were interested in researching how far people would go in obeying an instruction if it involved harming another person. That was the reason for the experiment. Now, the person really was not uh, shocked. They weren't really, uh, they didn't receive these volts at all. Um, Stanley Milligram was interested in how easily ordinary people could be influenced into committing atrocities for example, Germans in World War II. So the procedure, the volunteers were recruited for a lab experiment investigating learning. Okay, that was how they got these people in there. They were investigating learning, ethics, deception, stuff like that. Uh, participants were 40 males aged between 20 and 50, whose jobs ranged from unskilled to professional from uh, the New Haven area. 
They were paid $4.50 for just turning up. Uh, they drew straws to determine their roles, learner and teacher. Although this was fixed and the Confederate was always the learner, there was also an experimenter dressed in a gray lab coat, played by an actor, not by Mill. Not by milligram, but played by an actor. So it looked like there was somebody who knew what they were doing, somebody who was uh, uh, oh, oh, the the that was controlling it all. It was all it was all a controlled experiment to the uh, to to the person who had no idea what they were doing. So they had two rooms in the Yale Interaction Laboratory. Uh, those were the two rooms used. One was for the learner uh, who was in the electric chair, supposedly in the electric chair, and then uh, the, the another another room for the teacher and the experimenter uh, with the electric shock generator. Uh, the learner uh, was strapped to a chair with electrodes. Now remember, that was Mr. Wallace, the learner, who was a, uh, a friend to the guy controlling the the study, so he was strapped to a chair with electrodes. Uh, after he has learned the list of words, they gave him a, a word pairs given for him to learn, and so he would get a whole list of these pairs of words. The teacher tests him by naming a word and asking the learner to recall its partner pair from the list of four possible choices. The teacher is told to administer an electric shock every time the learner makes a mistake, increasing the level of shock each time. So here's this teacher who believes he's actually shocking people. Now, the learner mainly gave wrong answers and on purpose. And for each of these, the teacher gave him an electric shock. When the teacher refused to administer the shock, the experimenter was given a series of orders slash prods. They would call them prods, but these were orders uh, to ensure that they continued. Now, there were four prods, and if one was not obeyed, then the experimenter, uh, who was Mr. Williams, read out the next prod and so on. So uh, the, the, the experimenter, who was the paid actor named Mr. Williams, he had a script he had to follow. If the guy refused to shock a guy because the actor was in there screaming. Again, you can look up these videos of these tests. The guy was in the next room screaming every time he got shocked. He was in pain. And so uh, he had this series of of um, a, a script, and they called them prods. So prod one was, please continue. And often uh, they would continue. But if they refused, he'd go to prod two. The experiment requires you to continue. And if they refused, that would take them to prod three. It is absolutely essential that you continue. And when that failed, they go to prod four. You have no other choice but to continue. And that was the test. What were the results? 65% of the participants, which is two-thirds, the teachers, the ones who had no clue that everyone was in on it, continued the highest level of 450 volts. 65% thought they were applying 450 volts. All of the participants continued to 300 volts. Only 65%, which is a high amount of people in the study, two-thirds, took it to the full 450 volts. 
Uh, Milligram did more than one experiment. He carried out 18 variations of his study. Um, all he did was alter the situation to see how this affected obedience, and uh, it did affect it. So removing the lab coat, for example, that was one of the alterations he made, removing the lab coat, and he found that people didn't really listen as much as they um, as much as they wanted to uh, during you know, if, if somebody wasn't in that lab coat. Well, years later, I think it was in 2006, another psychologist um, who was really interested in the milligram experiment, but he hated people always wanting to talk about it. But he decided to do his own study on this as well, kind of kind of changed the situation up a bit and still influenced by those in uh, those those World War II criminals who were saying we were we were following orders. Um, and they found in their 2006 study that there was total disobedience. Interesting. So in the 1960s, there was total obedience, given the right way. 2006, total disobedience. And they used the same prods. You must continue. You have no choice. And the people would say, yes, I do have a choice. I don't have to do this. That man's hurt. I'm not doing this. So, how did they get people to do this experiment? They told them that the experiment was for the greater good. And that changed things. Suddenly, just about everyone was involved, and they felt like they did a good thing. They were willing to cause harm to people because they thought they were doing a good thing. But when it came to just giving a direct order, they weren't willing to. You have to do this. No, I don't. But when they were under the impression that this study is for the greater good, they were willing to cause harm to another person and felt good about it. Well, now that does sound like Nazi Germany. That does sound like exactly what the, uh, uh, what these men went through because there are recorded speeches from high-ranking SS generals that uh, they talk about how, uh, how bad this is, that they understand that uh, this, is not, this is not something that everyone likes doing, but it's for the greater good. Uh, to eradicate the Jews was for the the greater good. So them following obedience wasn't for the sake of being obedient. It was for the sake because they thought they were doing it for the greater good. People are willing to do evil when they think it's good, when they are misled. That's basically what these studies are telling us. But... Coming from Yale University, which used to be a theological university, a theological uh, uh, campus, um, Jonathan Edwards was one of their presidents at one time, one of the greatest American theologians and preachers of all time um, uh, within American history. He, he was the president there. He used to be a theological university, uh, but uh, now it's a secular one, and... and the problem 
of evil uh, and 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 people's evil desires and and that first psychologist who found that most of his students shared the same desire and his friend who wanted to kill uh, his uh, his his own wife and and the and the woman we talked about in the last episode who shot and killed her own husband. Um, this is has nothing to do for the greater good. It has everything to do with sin. All of this is because of sin, and we have a an entire culture. These controlled studies and smart students, well-educated students, are clueless to the problem of evil. Absolutely clueless. But the problem of evil in our world, within mankind, we find at the fall of man. Yes, we surely shall die. And we did die. We had a spiritual death when man rebelled against God. When man violated God's law. And at the rebellion of Adam and Eve, death entered, decay entered, deformity entered. And the chapter following chapter 3, which is where the fall happens in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall. Genesis chapter 4, we see murder. This is this is not some random thing going on. These, these are not just, well, people act out once in a while, and this is sin. These are sinful things. Uh, Nazi Germany was a sinful movement. Uh, these people who were willing to 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 cause harm to another individual, though they thought it was for the greater good, came from sinful desires. Their intent wasn't to be malicious, but they are sinners by nature. They inherited sin. Therefore, they were driven by sin. It's not something easy for the uh, secular man to understand, uh, but for the Christian person, this should be clear and evident. Sin is driving those who think they are doing good and think that they have good intentions. No matter how uh, evil it is, um, not, not all the evil things that we see uh, happening have these um, motives of 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 evil behind it. Some of them do, but not not this direct motive of someone in their head going, "I want to commit evil." For example, the, there was that um, mass shooting that happened. I, I don't remember how far back when it was. Uh, a guy who went up to a hotel. This is not the Vegas shooting. Uh, a man who went up to a hotel and and started firing. Uh, his weapons on people and killed quite a bit of people too. He was an ex-marine. Um, I mean, he was just he was he was a uh, a sniper, I think, for the Marines. He was definitely a sharpshooter. And um, uh, we're talking 
we're talking, I think, before Vietnam, the Vietnam War, maybe right during the time of the Vietnam War. So we're talking a while back. But uh, the man wrote a letter. He was a well-educated man, and he wrote a letter, and he was explaining that uh, um, he he doesn't know why he has these these thoughts to kill, and uh, and so he he knew it was wrong. He knew it was bad, and his intentions for going up into the hotel was in fact evil but the man wound up killing his own mom and wife before he did this and when reading his letter he wasn't doing it because he hated them he 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 wrote the letter as if it was something good he was sparing them and this ain't the first time we've seen something like that uh there's there's been many many evil things where people go like no you don't understand i was sparing them well that's what this this shooter was doing and, and he violently killed his mom and his wife it, they they weren't uh they weren't like a mercy kill they were violent murders and he says he was sparing them and and for from what i don't know um maybe he thought uh, once i do this evil act uh they're reputation and name it's gonna all be ruined i'm just gonna take them out so they don't have to face that or they don't have to look me in the face and know who i am or whatever it may be whatever his motives were when you read the 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 letter which is kind of a suicide note slash homicide note when you read that his intentions for the murder of his own mom and wife are not coming from a um intent to be maliciously evil he thinks he's doing them a favor though he is not it is evil and sinful not everyone's not everyone is is coming from a place where it is deliberate evil i don't know if everyone can live with themselves if they were coming from this place of deliberate evil so it's it's an evil that is driven uh, by by sinful uh, desires. It's an evil that's driven uh, by sinful inclination. And the person is absolutely clueless. Absolutely clueless that they are uh, committing uh, uh, these sins. I mean, we're talking about we're talking about something pretty extreme here. We're talking about a mass murderer um, when it comes to the sniper. Uh, when it comes to uh, Nazi Germany, we're talking about mass murderers. Um, and that might not be uh, most of you, hopefully. Most of you are not uh, looking to go out and kill people. But your sinful inclinations do come out in smaller things. And you, too, may not realize what's driving you to do these bad things. And you, too, might also not realize that... Uh, uh, that you kind of fool yourself by thinking you had good intentions when in fact sinful inclination is never good. Maybe it's a form of self-justification, justifying your actions, whatever it may be. I don't know what the uh, how you process what you process in your head, but sinful inclination is always evil. This has been the Things Above podcast.